Welcome to Our Hen House. This is Marianne Sullivan. And this is Jasmine Singer. We are super excited about this week's interview, really. I I just love that we're doing so many international interviews. It's just so exciting. Uh, This week we have Hakeem Jimo, and he is the entrepreneurial force behind Veg Chunks, which is Nigeria's first commercially produced meat substitute. He's also really active in the vegan movement um, and in not-for-profit efforts to grow veganism in Nigeria through things like uh, reaching out to schools and to churches. So this is a pretty exciting interview. Very exciting. On this week's Flock bonus segment, I'll be continuing my conversation with Hakeem. As always, if you're a Flock member, you will get a link to the bonus segment in your email on on Tuesday, and you'll also be able to find it on the Flock Facebook group. And if you're not a member of the Flock and you can afford it, then you can join for $10 a month at ourhenhouse.org slash donate. And if you are a Flock member, please also join us for our Flock Friday Zoom calls at 4 p.m. Eastern. Whether we have a guest or just chat about about interesting things like how to shift our activism or how to take care of ourselves in these tough times, we always really have a nice time. So if you're a member of the Flock, check out the Flock Facebook group for updates, or you can always write to us at info at ourhenhouse.org. And before we get to the interview, uh, I just wanted to chat about some exciting new things that have been going on in uh, fast food restaurant world. I actually took a, a trip the other day and didn't have time. It was a, a necessary day trip. I didn't have enough time to make food for the road. And I just thought, oh, I'll just go to Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, which, by the way, they have a new avocado toast, which I know isn't like the most exciting thing ever. I love avocado toast. How could that not be well, exciting? I guess because it's sort of accidentally vegan and it would be better if Dunkin' Donuts had vegan donuts and vegan cream cheese. But, you know, I think that might get there. In any case, I'm still very grateful for the efforts that Dunkin' Donuts has uh, gone to. To You know, that's hard, too. Like, I, And I'm not sure I would say it's accidentally vegan. They might have been trying to expand their vegan offerings in ways that didn't seem like, you know, just replacing uh, some of their animal-based products with, with identical vegan products. But, but avocados are not the easiest thing to deal with. I'm surprised a fast food company, you know, is really capable of, like, Buying them, keeping them right, not smushing them. Well, it's a, it's like a avocado toast, like you know, spread. I'm not sure. I don't know. Oh, yeah, but it's much more. Sense. But and Starbucks recently had it. I don't, I don't think they do anymore. And at Starbucks, it was, it was really bad. I actually went this morning to Dunkin' Donuts to get an oat milk latte, and I wanted to get the avocado toast, but they were out, which you know might be a really good sign. It means that they're selling out. But I haven't yet tried it to see if it's any good. Of course, they also have the Beyond Meat sliders there, which is huge. You have to get it without the cheese and egg, but it's still really good. Anyway, there are even more fast food restaurants. Well, speaking of Beyond Meat, I hope you all bought a lot of stock when it was cheap. I did not. You probably heard that there are striking partnerships, as this article points out, with McDonald's and Yum! Brands. Yeah, big time. We're going big time. The McPlant, which is the absolutely horrific name that McDonald's is giving to its vegan burger. (laughs) I don't think even I would order a McPlant. This is from CNN that you're reporting on this. Yum Brands, which, you know, we were trying before I I got on the microphone, we were trying to figure out what that is. Well, it's pretty big, actually. It's KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza Hut. So apparently there is never going to be a problem getting vegan food. In, in America ever again, because because Beyond is just is just uh, soaring mm. as are its shares eight, up eight percent in early trading last Friday. Craziness. I wonder if it's called the McPlant because they were fearful that there that there would be some labeling issues or or you know something that would backfire, and so they wanted to make it extremely obvious that it wasn't like. A burger or whatever, like how at Burger King it, it is the Impossible Whopper, but it's not called like a Impossible Plant Whopper. I wonder if there was some kind of thought process in there. I wouldn't be entirely surprised. I think you're overthinking it myself. I think they just think it's a really cool name. Sometimes, though, I do think that these companies come up with these names. Sometimes they're so bad. I think they come up with them to try to kill these products. But let's hope that's not the case. There's also going to be things like pizza toppings, chicken alternatives, uh, possible taco fillings for, you know, for the for the Yum! Brands restaurants. You never have to go anywhere anymore to go out of your way to get vegan food. And we did, as you might recall, we did try the Pizza Hut Beyond Topping a couple months back. We just got it without cheese and then added our own when we got home. 
But yeah, I mean, veganism, I know it's very cliche at this point to say veganism has really changed. And but it is sort of like this this little but giant piece of news that you just shared kind of changes everything because these are the fast food restaurants that are absolutely everywhere in the U.S. And it just makes me think like, well, I wasn't sure if the best way to appeal to people's, uh, you know, vegan leanings was to always talk about the animal rights side because people just for some reason are very cut off from that sometimes. I've always said, you know, we just have to make it extremely convenient for people to eat vegan and now it's extremely convenient so how does this change things well i i think that it's a step like at first you have to make it extremely convenient so that people can afford psychologically to start thinking about the animals then once they realize there's all this food out there and that the food is fine and sometimes it's even delicious then they can uh, this is my hope i don't really hope for much anymore but my hope is that once they they realize the food's okay, then they will start thinking about the animals because, you know, it's kind of obvious that the other food is made out of animals. Unless the government is really working hard to keep them from being aware of that. And I'm, I'm referring specifically to the EU. Now, this has not passed yet. I don't want people to panic. But this has been a proposed, a very serious proposal to impose some new rules. I mean, the EU are already imposes ridiculous rules on what producers of plant-based products can do. So these are the new ones for dairy. Not not in, in effect yet, but they've been proposed. So non-dairy milks and other types of products would have to follow the, the, the following rules. It would prohibit the provision of essential health and allergen information, such as lactose-free alternative to dairy milk, on which consumers actually rely to make food choices, They would be prohibited from using words such as creamy or buttery. They would be prohibited from using packs for plant-based foods that are similar in style to those used for dairy products. So like a, you know, a milk carton. Not for you. No milk cartons for you. That could make people deceived. This is um, one of my favorites. They would be prohibited from using a picture of a plant-based white beverage being poured at a breakfast table, or white foam swirling in a cappuccino. Mm. Oh, my God. And they would be prohibited from informing consumers about the climate impact of foods, for example, by including a comparison of the carbon footprint of plant-based and conventional dairy. Oh, my God. These people have lost their minds. It really does show how desperate they are. I, I doubt these will pass. They're like crazy, but... But you never know. Uh, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Anxieties are rising out there pretty high. I mean, and does it, do you think it's a coincidence that that we first reported about Yum! brand and McDonald's with bringing all these vegan products in, into in, onto their menus and then reported on this upside down bananas world of, of like not being able to show a milk carton? It just feels related to me. Yeah, no, I think it's completely related. They're They're terrified. Yeah. They're terrified. When they don't want to have to. Pl- they're already not playing on an even playing field because their products are so subsidized. But they really, really don't want to. Yeah. Well, we are making global shifts. And that is one of the reasons why I'm particularly excited about my guest today. So why don't we transition to my interview with Hakeem Jimo? Yeah, I agree. I'm excited. Hakeem Jimo is a vegan entrepreneur and co-founder of Veggie Victory, Nigeria's pioneer plant-based food company. Veggie Victory started in 2013 as the first plant-based restaurant in Nigeria before introducing Veg Chunks, which is the first commercially produced meat substitute in Nigeria. Hakim is also passionate about growing the vegan movement through Nyja Veg, a non-for-profit organization conducting projects like the Vegan School Outreach and the Vegan Church Outreach, before co-founding Veggie Victory, he worked as a journalist and public relations consultant in, in West Africa. He'll be joining Jasmine right after this. This is Gretchen Primack, former R. Henhouse guest, super proud flock member, and lover of all things Jasmine and Marianne. Well, if I knew how to drum roll, I would, but since I don't, I'll just say it. My book of animal poems, Kind, has just been republished by Lantern Books. It's a hardback with new cover art and paintings inside by amazing vegan artists. I wrote 10 new poems for this edition, 
including ones about climate change, a certain pandemic you may have heard of, and a poem for the fish. Why do we always forget the fish? If you want to learn more about Kind or pick up a copy or three, go to my website at GretchenPrimack.com and click on the Kind button. Or head to bookshop.org, the indie answer to Amazon. Thanks for listening to me and for supporting our hen house. Welcome to our hen house, Hakeem. Yeah, hello. Thanks so much for joining us. I, I've been looking forward to chatting with you for a while. Where are you coming to us from today? Yeah, thanks, Jasmine, for having for having me. Yeah, I'm here in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, West Africa, largest city in uh, in Nigeria and probably even Africa with uh, 20 million people, so a bit larger than New York. Wow. <laughs> yeah, pretty warm here. Um, I don't know in, in Fahrenheit, but it's 30 degrees Celsius. Uh, yeah, tropical mm-hmm. tropical weather. Now, if people are listening and they they can pick up a different accent from you, it's because you grew up in Germany, but now you live in Nigeria. So tell us about that. When did you go from Germany to Nigeria? Yeah, so, um, yeah, my accent, I guess, is a bit weird. Uh, a mix of everything, you know, and now even Nigerian uh, English accent. But indeed, uh, I was born and raised in Germany, um, not far from Hamburg. So that's my first language, German. Mm-hmm. And then uh, about 20 years ago, after um, university, everything, um, I moved to West Africa as a journalist. Uh, actually, I was based in, in, in the neighboring country called Republic of Benin. It's a small um, Francophone country, but not far from Nigeria, not far from Lagos, just uh, whatever, uh, 100 miles or so. Um, yeah, and now I'm in West Africa since 20 years now. Well, I have a lot to talk to you about. You do so many things. But to start, can you tell us how you went vegan? Was it while you were in Germany or once you moved to Nigeria? What's your vegan story? Yeah, so um, I guess it makes sense if I reveal my age. You know, I'm um, I'm 49, so born in the 70s, you know, um, mm-hmm. cool age. So I, I spent my first 27 years in Germany. Germany at that time was different. You know, now you have the vegan hype in Berlin and uh, vegan capital of the world, but it wasn't always like that. So I grew up in the countryside in, in northern Germany, actually on a farm, but they only did crops. So there is, it wasn't a livestock farm. Meat was part of um, the daily life there, as it is still for many people. You know, it's still not vegan, it's still not mainstream. I guess it depends very much on what circles you are in. So, uh, but definitely uh, countryside Germany, that's that's the cliche. There's a lot of meat, you know. Um, mm-hmm. The farmers, they actually got together, the neighbors, and then they they shared one, uh, what they do there is um, they buy a pig together, you know, and then, then the butcher comes to the farm. So in that aspect, it's not, um, it's not animal factory farming. But of course, it's gross, you know, and uh, and then the freezer and that they have huge freezers, you know, it was full of meat. And then that, that was when I realized I was still a teenager that, oh, man, this is really a lot of meat here. You know, uh, is it necessary? But that was in the um, 80s or late 80s. And they, I had no clue of even the term vegetarian. It, it just simply didn't exist, you know, in, in that part of um, Germany. Mm-hmm. I refer to that as the kind of first steps, you know, that uh, I intuitively, I said, you know what, let me just do the potatoes because trust Germans, there are potatoes there. You know, I'll just do the potatoes and the gravy and the um, and the, um, the legumes. But I had no idea of the concept um, vegetarian, not even talking about veganism. It was later at the university, so in the mid-90s, that... Um, uh, there was now an alternative meal, they called it, at the, the cafeteria. And still, there was no talk about veganism. So I became a vegetarian, really, at the university level, when I learned that there's more to it, you know, than just, um, so then there are other people. And then I was a vegetarian for 19 years, because I really didn't know that there's veganism, you know? It's, 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 uh, it's uh, terrible as, uh, as that. Um, I wish I had known before somebody would have told me, but simply it wasn't, you know? Uh, so I was 19 years a vegetarian, but I really didn't eat too much dairy because naturally you kind of 
stop it. So I was uh, already on soy milk, but cheese was, um, there were no cheese substitutes in the 90s. We had no products as such. Um, and it was now really eight years ago, seven years, eight years now that um, I switched to vegan. And uh, I was already in uh, in West Africa uh, back then. And um, basically with our own restaurant, that's Veggie Victory, Nigeria's first vegan restaurant. That's when I finally made the switch, you know, because I always think that you need the support system. That's my story. You know? Well, Hakim, there's so many threads to your story and that of your company, Veggie Victory. But one of your threads is certainly V Cafe, which you and your wife founded and which I believe was the first of its kind in Nigeria, as you mentioned. Can you tell us how V Cafe started? Yeah, so that was in 2013. I actually came back from um, a trip in Asia and uh, I used the Happy Cow app and everywhere I went, I found uh, vegan restaurants or vegan friendly restaurants. And it was a way of exploring, discovering the, the different places, you know, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, even a bit of China. And then I came back and the same app showed me zero results, you know, and I was like furious, you know, how is that possible that uh, in a city with 20 million people, it's really huge. Nigeria is not a small place, you know, it's, we have 200 million people in the whole country and we are doubling, you know, um, in the next 20 years. So that's 400, more than the US and not one vegan restaurant. And I told my partner that, um, come on, I mean, even if I'm the only one eating in the restaurant, at least I saved the money eating always in um, Lebanese and Indian restaurants, and you still can't be sure what you're getting. You know, um, I can't have a vegan burger. So let's just do it. It pays already half for the rent. And then we started it as Veggie Victory. The, the new V Cafe is because we now have more um, products in, um, in, in the line. So we, we switched to V Cafe, but it's actually the company is Veggie Victory. Yeah, and that's how... Um, the first uh, Nigerian vegan restaurant started. And what the idea is really to veganize Nigerian cuisine. So that's very important for us. It's not like we are doing some um, food from abroad. We have, okay, we have uh, shawamas or kind of wraps, you know, and, uh, and burgers, of course, but we're really proud of veganizing the typical Nigerian um, cuisine, which is uh, a lot of stews and, um, and then some some mashed yeah maybe kind of mashed potatoes to it you know mm, that sounds amazing yeah i was going to ask if you serve traditional nigerian dishes and i'd love to know what your favorite typically nigerian vegan dish is <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't know it's really uh, it's really yummy you know uh, the stews because they are they are um, made with a lot of leaves or, or melon seeds that's egusi melon seeds and super healthy. I think uh, by default, uh, African food is, is, you could basically call it superfoods, you know, or moringa. I'm sure you heard of moringa. We are making a stew yeah. with moringa leaves. You know, I mean, imagine you're making a stew that is based on moringa leaves, you know. So the African cuisine is not very known. Um, uh, maybe it's because it's not very, uh, it doesn't look very sophisticated with like eight cup courses or something. It's very practical. You have your um, staple carbs, you know, and then and then <laughs> like a, a lump of something, and then you have your stews. But once you eat it, they are very tasty. So I like. I really. I mean, there are really lots of stews like egusi and eba. That is like um, cassava, mashed cassava. So all these mashed things are. Then we have some um, kind of. You would say it's like a jerky, a beef jerky, you know, uh, and we mm, veganized yeah. it. Uh, we call it kilishi. That's a, a, a delicacy from northern Nigeria. So it's it's like normally dried beef and then seasoned. But we we uh, veganized it with our product. And that's when our product came in after the, the V Cafe restaurant that we realized how can we reach more people? Um, one restaurant can only do as much. And then we came up with a... A meat substitute. Yeah. And it's also, you know, everything you do in, in, in Africa, often it's the first thing. And it's also the first uh, meat substitute. Yeah, that was actually what I was, I was going to ask you about that, because you, you have a parent company which has entered the retail market with V Chunks. And uh, what I'm interested in, Hakim, is that you said it's not an imitation of products 
made abroad, but is specifically formulated to serve the Nigerian market. So can you explain what that means? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a fairly good idea of uh, meat substitutes globally. You know, um, I lived also for a few months in Portland and uh, Oregon, and uh, there you have um, Tofurky. So I know, I know all those products. And then you have, of course, in from the U.S., the famous uh, Beyond Meat and Impossible Burger. But in Nigeria and in Africa, and also not only here, also in Asia, um, we we are not really a, a burger culture, you know. So we have a different expectations of meat, and it's more like morsels or, or chunks, you know. We we have our stews I mentioned, and then you have some piece of meat in it. You know, we wanted to find a way to to do it, and then it's also it's not so it's not really like a people don't eat steaks here, you know. Um, so we hardly eat burgers. We don't eat steaks, so it's you don't have a problem of replicating a T-bone steak because what people just want is a chunk of meat on um, on their rice or whatever, you know. So we thought, mm-hmm. of, how can we do that? I encountered some meat substitutes, and then we had to really work on the texture. Yeah, and we came up with V-chunks, and um, and and because it was the way we fabricated it, I haven't seen it in in this way. It's basically a seitan product, you know, mixed with other things. Yeah. I think that is the main difference. It's dehydrated. Mm. And that is very unique, you know. And the reason why we did it is, one, is it, it brings that texture that Nigerian um, uh, expect of meat, you know, a bit chewier. And also, we don't have a cold chain as, as the developed world has, you know. And in every supermarket, you have aisles of freezers we don't have that it's really one of the problems so we wanted to have something that can can be independent from cold chain so it it came together and uh, of course we didn't have a multi-million dollar uh, r&d facility but we figured something out and it it was pretty cool and we patented it and we're even getting a request from um, as far as the u.s now uh, lots of uh, african diaspora of course, we are connected um, because it really works as as what they want to eat. But also outside that circle, we we have an, just one of our latest investors is actually from up, upstate New York, you know, um, from Thrive Worldwide. Mm-hmm. Another guy who's in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and um, and he made a Philly steak with it. He said it's perfect, you know. Um, so we want to see what what we can do with that also in other markets. But for now, of course, um, Africa and Nigeria in particular is our market. Wow, that's so cool. I, I know that you're also doing work through the nonprofit organization Niger Veg, and I know that one of its projects is vegan school outreach. Can you tell us about that? We realized almost when we started uh, Veggie Victory that, you know, we are really far behind other countries, especially the developed world, you know, and even the developed, even the Western world is, doesn't have an, uh, such a long tradition about plant-based, you know, it's really more in the Asian world, but we are here really in our infancy. So um, we realized that we need to also do awareness. You can't just start with a product, you know, um, and you also can't just do uh, advocacy without products you know because if you if you tell people hey stop eating meat you need to give them something you know and it's not that they can just uh, walk to the next supermarket and then they find uh, all the products there if there's zero products you're really expecting a lot first we we decided we need a product so that we can give people something and then secondly yeah it's uh, the advocacy is very important um because it's uh, a lot of people are not even aware and it's nothing really about education. I'm always reminded of uh, Germany in the 80s. You know, that if, if you talk to German, Germans in the 80s uh, about meat substitutes, uh, they were also looking at you with big eyes. You know, they're tofu. There are really funny stories over there. So it's not like uh, they were always used to meat substitutes. So, but still, uh, this is what we have here that you need to really tell people, hey, this is a meat substitute. And it's so funny. People come to our restaurant and they try our products and they are arguing with us. That, no, this is, this can't be plant based. This has to be meat. What kind of animal is that? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> we now um, ventured more into advocacy and we got support from ProVeg and they gave us a grant for mm-hmm. um, a school outreach program. And it's, uh, you have to catch people young. We are just talking about um, plant based, you know, that, uh, 
role models, you know, like uh, Superman is a, is a vegan or uh, maybe vegetarian, you know, and 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 uh, in real life, the, the Spider-Man is a vegan, you know, and you have all these role models and then Messi, the footballer, and that's when you now catch their attention and then you talk a little bit more about um, health, of course, and uh, the environment, and they're really listening to it. Mm -hmm. We're also doing a veg fest. We couldn't do it now in the last two years because, yeah, everything is a bit crazy. But uh, the, the advocacy is very important for us to bring out the message. Well, and speaking of advocacy, you also run the veggie challenges. What is that? How does that work? <laughs> yeah, it sounds all a bit a lot. Yeah, I'm also getting uh, not, <laughs> not overwhelmed, but, you know, everything works together, you know. Um, and maybe um, a sample is... Green Monday in, uh, in in Hong Kong, you know, he has a similar model. David Yong, he, he started as an advocacy and then brought in a product and uh, a restaurant, a supermarket, because you need products to convince people. And now even a, a kind of venture fund. And uh, I think we are going the same way. The challenge is the latest thing, and we are starting um, this month. Uh, and I have been looking at it, you know, it's... Uh, Everything is also a bit technical, tricky. You know, it's not as easy as that. You know, what platform are you using? So we finally found mm -hmm. um, the Challenge 22. I believe it's also in the U.S. So it means mm -hmm. uh, 22 days. It's uh, from an organization, Animals Now, in uh, in Israel. And uh, they're running this challenge for in 20 or so countries. Uh, we have one big supporter, um, Tomori. She's in Virginia. She's doing it from there. And uh, uh, it's based on, on on Facebook. It's a Facebook group. Um, yeah, we'll know more in a month's time, but that will be our first uh, vegan challenge and it will run basically every month. It's really to help people here to, to start the journey. You know, just today I got an email. Um, so how can I eat vegan? You know, and you really need to take people along, you know, and they have no clue. You know, you can't just tell them just leave out the meat. You know, it's like, it's like uh, they think it's like riding bicycles without a, without tires, you know. Right. Tell them, hey, you can still eat, cook your normal stew, but instead of crayfish, you can now use uh, some soy sauce or whatever, you know, to to season it. And then, if you need a meat substitute, you can use mushrooms uh, or you or feed chunks or tofu. And then we have meal plans there. I really like that um, vegan challenge because it's very comprehensive. It has. It has mentors that can uh, guide you and there's a community because you don't want to just be thrown into it um, and then left alone. I think that is also, you need to be very strong-willed if you do that alone. You know, it's always better to have a community around you and you can ask questions. And uh, yeah, people are even asking you, is, uh, is Coke vegan or whatever? Uh -huh. Yeah, you just need people to help you with, with that journey. Yeah. It can be very challenging for people to get animal products out of their diet. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the African traditional foods and their plant-based roots. And if if that helps to advocate for veganism when you're sort of connecting the dots there. I'm not an expert in everything. So I don't want to claim um, knowledge, which I probably don't have. But uh, in, in my research, I came across certain things. So... One um, very interesting fact is probably not everyone um, of your listeners knows that. So the meat consumption in Africa is not, is not very high. It's actually quite low. And just to give you a fact that um, an average African eats five kilogram, five kilogram of chicken in a year, while the, the, the average American eats 120 something kilogram. So you, that's like 20 times more chicken in, in the U.S. So mm -hmm. the, the issue we have here in, in Africa is not that we are eating too much meat. Well, I mean, I would definitely like to cut out all the meat, you know. But in terms of absolute numbers, we are not really eating a lot of meat. So it's not about reducing meat. It's about preventing meat. Because what will happen is um, this continent um, is going to double the population in the next 20 years. So we have about a billion now and we're going to have two billion or even two and a half. So we are really ramping up numbers here. And like I mentioned, in Nigeria, we have 200 million already and we're going to have 400 million in 20 years. 
I mean, this is explosive, you know, and, uh, and with this kind of growing numbers, the meat quantity will increase, obviously. So we don't want that to happen. So we want to give alternatives. It's also a nutrition thing. Again, Africans do not have the same nutritions like Westerners. You know, um, we have a lot of protein deficiency. You know, this is the continent with the highest protein deficiency in the world, even compared to other developing countries in, in Asia, for example, we have really low protein consumption, which is a big problem, you know, um, for malnutrition. It's one of the big reasons for malnutrition, and that has developmental aspects. So in, uh, in the Western world, you don't have uh, deficiencies. You know, it's like you need to reduce meat consumption. So what we are trying to do is to prevent it. And if people turn vegan, that's that's fine. But yeah, it's a lot of, uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm uh, overwhelming you with that, but um, this is this is important fact. So we're not coming from the same aspect here. You know? mm-hmm. And now you, you mentioned um, the traditional African food. Now, again, from my research, we, and you can talk to elderly people, even today, and they, were tell, they are telling you that, oh, we never really ate much meat in the villages. You know, like red meat, maybe three times a year when there was a big festivity, when there was a wedding or something, you know? Mm-hmm. What they had a bit more is um, um, fish, you know? So fish is, is still half of the protein, animal protein comes from fish. But traditionally, so a lot of things were always uh, plant-based, even though they were not seeing it as such, you know, um, but it, 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 it de facto it was. It's it's basically, I, I heard a, a survey from India. It's quite similar. They asked people, so out of the three meals per day and, and, and in a week, out of that 21 meals, do you think that you are vegetarian? And most people said no, but they only ate meat like two, one or two times per, per, per week. But was, they were still not considering themselves a vegetarian. And it's a bit like, like that here. Uh, um, traditionally, we were eating very little meat, you know, fish, yes, a bit, but nothing compared to the levels in, in the Western world. Now it's changing a little bit, and it also depends on where you are. There's, um, you know, 70% of Africans are still living in rural areas, so uh, and they, they, they don't have that much money than um, those that are living in urban cities. So the ones in the urban areas, they actually have modern problems like obesity and they're eating too much meat. So we have kind of two ways of malnutrition, Uh, but I'm not getting too deep into it. But um, yes, we have a a tradition of plant-based food, but uh, many Africans don't see it that way. And uh, in in fact, meat is like a prestigious thing. It's like an aspirational thing. It's like I can now afford to eat meat. And that's also very similar to other world regions where meat was always for the rich people or for the aristocrats, you know, in Europe, same thing, you know, or in in China, now that people have more money, they're now eating more meat. Mm. Just hope I'm not uh, overloading you with uh, information because it's a quite different um, uh, scenario we have here. Mm -hmm. It's important for us, you know, for all of our listeners and for everybody to realize, because I think there is a lot of misinformation uh, just regarding meat consumption globally, and it is the U.S. and and China leading that charge as far as meat consumption. I know that the Black veganism movement in the U.S. is growing by leaps and bounds. Do you believe that the global African diaspora is moving toward meat-free? Yeah, that's a, a, a thing. Um, I, I came across an article in the Washington Post that... Um, the largest, the fastest growing vegan community is um, is the African American community, um, and that was really surprising for me. You know, and I, I actually like the fact they were connecting it. That um, I think a lot of people. Uh, uh, that's what I heard. It's a kind of activism, you know. And um, I think, and you mentioned um, this audience here is very vegan friendly already. It's like you learn more, and you you suddenly see patterns of um, discrimination. If you're talking about racism, discrimination, and uh, you'll see that it's uh, getting very close to, I don't, I can't even pronounce the word, speciesism, you know? Yeah. I'm not surprised that uh, maybe that is what's driving them. Maybe it's also just health, because I know that um, minorities, people of color also always have more health issues, you know? Also, many, a lot of 
reasons for that. You know, um, it's good anyway. You know, it's good for the planet. It's good for them. You know, um, whatever it is that makes you vegan, it's fine. You know, if it's the environment, it's the animals, it's if it's health, if it's political, I don't care. Just do it. You know. Mm-hmm. African Americans or also the African diaspora, it's of course it's connected to um, uh, Africa. And then again, we we're not always eating that much meat. This this culture of uh, eating chickens in the morning is really uh, it's this generation. Somebody in Germany even said it. This is the the first and last generation that will eat that much meat. You know, it was never really so extensive. And I I maybe I can build a bridge. So I'm, again, I'm not just. African, I'm German actually, German Nigerian. And when I grew up in Germany, we used to eat uh, fish only on Fridays. Fridays was fish, and then we had a kind of more elaborate meat on Sundays, and then we were eating that for the rest of the week. And and we are middle class, so to say, you know. So it, it was not this kind of oh, let me stop at uh, KFC and uh, and and all of that every day. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's different, but I also see the similarities. I totally hear you. Uh, and you, you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that Germany is really changing as far as its vegan options. It's I feel like Germany is a trailblazer when it comes to in- incorporating vegan products on a very widespread giant level, which is really cool. Uh, and I, I'm excited to hear that things are picking up everywhere. Now, I know that you've said that in Nigeria, religion is playing a role in encouraging people to move toward veganism. And this is particularly exciting to me, since in my opinion, religious institutions have so often failed to address this issue. Can you explain how religion plays a role in Nigeria? Yeah, again, I'm Protestant um, by heritage from Northern Germany, so not probably the prototype of, of the Nigerian religious person, but it's it religion plays a huge role here. You know, it's um, it's stunning what impact that has on daily life here. Um, a lot of yeah Christian and then in the north um, Muslims connecting that to nutrition is a bit tricky. On one side, they see that the population is getting sicker. You know, um, because we have changed our diets, especially in um, with the colonization, you know, uh, started to have this uh, more Western food and we don't have the same medical infrastructure. So people are really struggling here with health, you know, blood pressure, all these non-communicable diseases. Uh, it's go- and it's going out of hand. It's a similar, it's a phenomenon worldwide in, um, in developing countries. So like Kenya, even like Mexico, I heard like they have huge numbers of uh, obesity, you know. So the, the church's community, they have to ask themselves like, okay, you know, our, our congregation is getting sick. You know, what, what can we do? And then you, you see like there are some references. Um, I'm just touching it, you know, when, whenever we are talking to, we also have a church outreach program. So we, we tell them about the Daniel fast, you know, that, hey, the, the guy was vegan and actually raw vegan, you know. <laughs> so, um, but you have to go very gentle, you know, or if you talk about, um, I think it's already in Genesis, you know, that what your food is, you know, but you are getting into, like we say in Germany, on, on thin ice. So it's more about you're coming from the health ang- angle. Uh, and that's when you can really get catch people because they can't deny that problem. They don't really know what to do and um, they need to offer their people um, really practical things. So uh, we're still not there. It's still, everything is still in the beginning. But I, uh, I think if we really want societal change here, we need to, we need to get the religious groups on board. Yeah, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And in so many places, climate is becoming more and more of a pressing issue. Do you see climate as a growing driver of veganism in Africa and and elsewhere? Yeah, Jasmine, I think we are touching really big topics here, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't like to go lightly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. And I think it's very important to get out uh, these messages. Climate, environment is another big topic. And um, I think um, Africa, again, uh, unfortunately, is one of the continents that suffer climate change the most. And what we can see in Nigeria is um, we have this um, cattle conflict that in the northern parts where it's more to the Sahara desert, desertification, and then 
um, they have this nom nomadic lifestyle with their cattle, and they're now moving towards uh, greener pastures, you know, literally. Um, so they are coming south, and these cattle, they are grazing, you know, and they always, it, for generations, they are, they're used to graze, you know, for free. That's food for free. But now they are clashing with um, pastoral communities, so those ethnic groups that are doing more uh, cash crops, and it's a huge problem. So the scenarios we hear often in vegan discussions that uh, cattle is competing with uh, with humans, we have it here, and uh, it, it's to the point that um, it is very violent. Thousands of people have lost their lives uh, uh, because, yeah, the herdsmen, as we call them, they they basically come into villages and chase them away, you know, uh, which can also call, well, we are quite sure that, uh, there will be a food uh, security issue because if farmers cannot go to their farms, you know, you will have a problem. But then it's not only... It's not as, uh, as simple as north against south. Uh, I always tell this the, the people we live here in the south that, hey, you are complaining about the herdsmen coming here, but you are the one that is creating that demand for meat. You know, so, uh, well, here mm -hmm. it is. The meat is coming to you, you know. But that's very political. And for me, it's clear. But uh, for many people, it's not yet. You know, I, I think at some point um, they will connect the dots, but it's highly political. But we'll see the... The, uh, the consequences, you know, um, cattle against humans right now, you know, um, we have already these numbers, you know, the, the Republic of Cattle is the, the fifth largest country in the world. And here we are, here it's happening. They're not ranched here. We don't have that ranching thing, you know, and there's a reason for that because then you need to feed those animals, which is another cost again. Again, you know, the vegan diet is a multi-solution provider. You're definitely covering a lot of ground, and I, I mean, I'm very grateful for it. I know we we mentioned we mentioned religion, and I'm curious. One thing I want to go back to that I realized I didn't ask you that I want to know more about is your work with the Vegan Church Outreach. Yes, so that's our program. You know, so we are we are approaching um, churches and also mosques, uh, telling them that hey. What can we do together? It's really easy. You know, we tell them, hey, do you have a health problem <laughs> or something like that? Here, we have something that's healthy for your people, you know? It's as simple as that, you know? And then uh, they are curious, oh, what is it? You know, and then you tell them, you know, um, here, diet is very important. And uh, if you go more plant-based, if you try to reduce meat. And the, the fantastic thing is that people are very aware that there is a problem with meat, but they don't really know what to do. You know, yes, they like meat or the idea of it, but it's it's a kind of uneasy feeling, almost like a guilt pleasure. You know, so we are meeting open doors, kind of. You know, but it's uh, I mean, we are still not being we are still not mainstream. There's still um, of course a lot of yeah, not resistance, but you we have to do a lot of awareness through the health message is absolutely uh, the winning side. And then and I think in that aspect, the pandemic COVID-19 really helped because we don't have many ventilators here, you know, maybe a hundred in the whole country. So you better have, <laughs> you better be fit and they know that. So that's, that helps a bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that we have covered a lot of ground. I'd love to keep you on for our bonus content, Hakeem. But before, before we do that, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you were hoping to chat about? I always um, like to reach out to um, different communities and also the um, African-American community. And I know I've seen there are some uh, Black entrepreneurs now in the vegan world, very important. And I think it's absolutely necessary that uh, different communities come up with their own products, you know, um, uh, local champions, you know, worldwide, the uh, people in Asia need their own products, you know, and uh, people in Africa and, uh, and also the different um, communities. There's this great, um, if I can mention it, investors, sustainable foods ventures from Ryan Bethencourt. He's a, a California-based wild earth, you know, vegan dog food. So yes. he invested in us and uh, Ryan is a cool guy. And uh, he also invested in black-owned uh, burger company, uh, Best Burger or something. So it's, it's very important that uh, these communities get support. Yeah, maybe that point. For me, this uh, battle of winning uh, the plant-based war, you know, it will it will be decided in developing worlds. You know, uh, I don't want to crush anybody's dream, but it's not going to be decided in Germany, you know, and probably not the U.S. It's China, India, and countries like Nigeria. 
where we're going to see if we can really make it uh, plant-based the world. Because what I always say is even if you have uh, 5% or 10% or 20% growth in, uh, in vegan businesses in, uh, in the U.S., and only 0.5 increase of meat in, in the other countries, you're still losing the war, you know? Because the truth is, uh, maybe we're all a bit in a bubble. I don't want to be a, a skeptic guy, but uh, global meat consumption is rising, you know? We are far from from uh, reducing it by 50% as some um, initiatives are doing it. It's rising, you know? And even I just read, even, even in, in, in UK, meat consumption is, is is growing you know it sounds like if you're in this vegan bubble that hey the world is going vegan and we are making it and so much money is always flowing in and but let's not be fooled you know um the meat industry is still out there you know and still thriving and it's growing it's not uh, even if it grows by one percent those numbers are huge you know so it's important that all communities are involved and not just some people in Berlin, you know? So that's like my message, kind of. I love that very much. So, uh, and we've had Ryan Betancourt on and agree that what he's doing is super cool. Can you tell our listeners how they can uh, find you online and support your efforts? VeggieVictory.com is our website. Um, the social media handles are VeggieVictoryNG for Nigeria. But really, if you if you if you Google vegan in Nigeria, you definitely uh, will should be on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the easiest way. Okay, and we'll certainly add links to this in the show notes. So, Hakeem, please stay on the line so we can chat for our bonus content. But I, thank you so much for all that you're doing. I could I could talk to you for hours, and <laughs> I'm very inspired by the incredible work you're doing. I feel like you're covering everything. I feel like you're covering every aspect of veganism. So it is an honor to chat with you today. Thank you, Jasmine. It was really a pleasure here. If you like what you're listening to, and I hope you do, then please consider taking a minute out of your day today to leave us a friendly review. You can do it on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or Stitcher or on Facebook or wherever you listen to podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. The more we get out there, the more our hen house will be in front of people's eyeballs when they're putting in search terms in their podcasts and the more we could join forces together to elevate the voices of the animals and change the world for them. So thank you so much in advance for leaving us a friendly review. Anxiety's rising. Our first story this week is from meetingplace.com. In fact, I think all of our stories are from meetingplace.com. Our first one is a doozy. It's by, you know, one of our favorite commentators, Rick Berman of the quote-unquote Center for Consumer Freedom. And he's now writing regularly, fairly regularly for Meeting Place. Don't let the tail wag the hog. Okay, what the hell does that mean? What it means is he's really upset about corporate campaigns. I don't know why he's upset because he says they don't do anything, but he feels that the retailers are being deceived. Animal activist groups are ratcheting up their corporate campaigns after being sidelined by the pandemic. I don't know why the pandemic would have sidelined corporate campaigns, but whatever. This has to do with animal activist groups who are targeting restaurants and grocers regarding mostly poultry sourcing, but, uh, you know, there has have also been campaigns around eggs and pork. This is how the illusion works, according to Rick Berman. Susie, a vegan in Los Angeles, gets an email from an animal rights group asking her to send a pre-written tweet to restaurant XYZ telling the business to change their chicken supply. Susie obliges and sends the tweet, despite never having been to restaurant XYZ or knowing anything about animal husbandry. (laughs) Several days later, there are a couple of hundred tweets similar to Susie about restaurant XYZ. Fearing bad PR, restaurant XYZ agrees to make production demands from their supplier. In other words, these voices are not normal consumers who eat and buy meat at these restaurants or grocery stores. It's vegans who don't eat or shop there and never will, griping from behind a keyboard. Now, I guess his point is that Restaurant XYZ and all of the other retailers, like all of the major uh, 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 grocery stores and fast food suppliers, all of whom have, have been targeted and have, have made concessions in these, in these types of campaigns, they're all just stupid. They're, 
they're all just deceived by this idiot Susie and her 12 friends. Yeah, no, that's they're not afraid of the they know it's the vegans running this, these campaigns. They're afraid that the vegans are going to get the word out. You know, everybody in this industry is terrified of the truth. And so they want to avoid it. They want to get on the right side of Well, maybe not the right side of history, but at least the right side of their bottom line. What's really driving him crazy here is not just Susie, but the fact that these campaigns are, quote, bought and paid for. The organization he's targeting this week in particular is the Open Philanthropy Project, which is uh, has given more than $130 million to animal rights causes since 2016. But what he's particularly upset about are, you know, something that we wouldn't really necessarily call animal rights causes. They're these corporate campaigns to kind of just somewhat reduce the hideous cruelty in factory farming. He's talking about $3.6 million to the Humane League just recently on top of money that they've given them to before. And Humane League is, of course, one of the one of the leaders in these, quote unquote, corporate ha- harassment campaigns. Um, also, um, $10 million to Mercy for Animals. And what he feels that 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 this allows uh, these organizations to do is to create an echo chamber that creates an illusion to these companies that people want them to change their animal protein sourcing when really nobody out there cares. Well, you know, in a way, he's kind of right that a lot of people out there don't know, don't care, don't, they're just unaware. People are remarkably brain dead about this issue. But as I said before, what these companies are really afraid of is that they will wake up and they want to get ahead of that. To be sure, he says, angry tweets, emails, or phone calls from vegans are an annoyance. But targeted companies should also be aware that the activists are trying to trap them into an even worse situation. And he's talking specifically about the better chicken commitment that is being demanded by some of these groups. And it's based on global animal partnership standards, which is, a you know, started out being affiliated from whole, with Whole Foods. And uh, he thinks there are serious downsides to these standards. Quote, for example, one Gap certified free range poultry producer suffered millions in losses after predators killed 160,000 chickens. Is that humane to these activists? You know, in this instance, I, I would bet like a lot of people listening to this podcast are in agreement. These humane standards are not humane at all. I don't know about this incident, but yeah, <laughs> free range, free range or, uh, or cage, quote unquote cage free housing is is still hideously cruel. So yeah, I agree with him about that. What should they do? They should stop selling chicken completely, obviously, if they want to get rid of cruelty. He just feels that any any company that gives in here is is just is just condemning itself to being controlled by animal activists. And you know, the standards could even change. And then the vegan bullies will come after you. Aren't you glad that they're so scared of you? As we are learning, he says, past commitments that restaurants and retailers have made on pork and eggs are proving to be too expensive and too unrealistic. Yeah, this is another real problem I have with these campaigns is that they're not they're falling apart. The Humane League issued an expose report recently naming several brands that could, as, as Rick Berman says, could not meet. I would say did not bother to meet their cage free egg pledges. So, you know, I don't know. Is this a, a big step forward for us? He thinks so. So maybe it is. But I'd like to see them just stop eating chicken. Wouldn't you? It is imperative, he concludes, that suppliers communicate to their restaurant and retail customers that this illusion is more bark than bite. Then why, may I ask, Rick, are you so upset about it? All right. Our next two uh, two stories are both about the same subject. And I'm sure one of the reasons is because of as we spoke about last week, the fact that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez decided to go vegetarian for Lent in honor of Tommy Raskin, the son of Representative Jamie Raskin, who was, of course, a passionate animal rights advocate and, and vegan and recently committed suicide. All right. So this is not really about that specific situation, though it is mentioned by the article by Hannah thompson Weeman on anim- the Animal Ag Watch column. Lent brings up conversations about, quote unquote, giving up meat. She points out that Lent always ends up being a time for activists to, quote, push for meat, dairy, poultry and eggs to be given up. Last year, a group called Million Dollar Vegan offered President Trump one million dollars donated to a charity to go vegan for Lent. He did not take them up on the offer. What a shock. <laughs> 
Of course, the Pope didn't either. Pope should have done it. Really pathetic. What's the point of like taking the name Francis if you're not going to care about animals? And by caring about animals, I don't mean, I mean, I know that, that the Pope has spoken out about animals, but let's face it, put your money where your mouth is. All right, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm going to stop talking about the Pope. All right. So she goes on to talk about um, the fact that Ocasio, Representative Ocasio-Cortez uh, has decided that she's going vegetarian for Lent. She doesn't go into the whole reasons. She said that uh, Ocasio-Cortez stated that her decision was in honor of the late son of a fellow representative, not due to environmentalism and animal rights or another cause. You know, if they, she'd fully reported on the story, she was doing it out of respect for him, yes, but he was doing it out of uh, caring about animals and, and the environment. So, you know, not really covering the full story there. And she points out that, and I think she's right here, that the meat industry should take it as a compliment that meat tends to come up as something to be given up for Lent, along with things like chocolate, alcohol, and coffee. These are things that people love. None of them are particularly good for you, but but they are things that people are, for one reason or another, very attached to. And uh, and she loves that, that therefore, uh, that's one of the focuses of, of what people should maybe give up for Lent. But her real problem is that activist groups are quick to try to twist that narrative and turn it into a trial run for going fully vegan. And yeah, they are. I hope it works. I mean, it doesn't make that much sense to me, but I do hope it works. As always, she concludes these conversations about, quote unquote, giving up meat gives us an opportunity to remind people why it is and should remain something thoroughly enjoyed and depended on for the vast majority. No, it doesn't, Hannah. But interestingly, there's another column. I mean, they're a little obsessed with this. I think it's this Ocasio-Cortez situation. But um, there's also a column by Gregory Bloom, giving up meat for Lent. Why meat? He doesn't mention the whole Ocasio-Cortez thing. And he points out that he wasn't religious as a child. Apparently now he's a Christian. So uh, now he gets to talk about it. But when he was a kid, he'd ask his friends why they were giving up meat. And most of them didn't really know. Tradition was the standard answer. Well, that's not good enough for him. And uh, why meat? Why not vegetables, sex, TV, smoking or drinking? I agree vegetables are much more pleasurable than meat. His point is that giving up meat seems arbitrary. You know, it's pretty traditional to do fasting. And this is considered a type of kind of pathetic type of fasting. You know, and he goes into the, is it because meat is so delicious and enjoyable? More delicious than sex, TV, smoking, or drinking? I don't think so. Especially smoking. Oh, I'm not saying I like smoking more than the others, but you know, every once in a while I really do miss it. Anyway, I digress. He goes on and on about this, doesn't understand it. Why give up meat? Why is it meat? Why does it have to be meat? And if the only reason is tradition and you're relying on rules that go beyond the clear teaching of the Bible, he says he, he never found this in the Bible. Then, you know, if the idea is to give up meat because it was once such a luxury, maybe giving up more self-indulgent things would actually be more of a sacrifice than just skipping meat in your meals. Boy, he's really upset about this, isn't he? Like, I guess, you know, I guess they'd really lose money during Lent. Really interesting. All right, so he finally answers this by quoting Jesus in Matthew 15. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of this, the heart comes evil thoughts and deeds. Well, you know, what can I say? He's quoting from the Bible. And apparently, in some way, he finds this, he finds evidence in this that we should um, continue to eat animals who have been tortured their entire lives and killed in brutal ways. And if that's what he thinks Jesus is all about, really just don't know. And that's it for this week's Rising Anxieties. Well, that's it for this week's show. As always, if you like the podcast and you're able in these difficult times, you can support us by joining our flock at ourhenhouse.org slash donate for $10 a month or $100 a year. Or you can make whatever donation you're comfortable with. Another great way to support us is to leave a fabulous review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts or like us on Facebook. You could also leave us a review there or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at at ourhenhouse. If you shop on Amazon, you can use Amazon Smile using Our Hen House as your favorite charity. And of course, tell your friends about us. 
If you're one of our listeners who already supports us, thank you so much. And thank you to my co-host, Marianne Sullivan, and to Jen Riley for her work in producing this podcast, and to composer Michael Heron for the music. Thanks to Podcast Haven for their work editing this podcast, and to our production assistant, Jocelyn Martinez. We will be back next week with a brand new show, so don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a Flock member, remember to check your email or the Flock Facebook group on Tuesday for your bonus content and join us on Fridays for Flock Fridays, where we do some really cool Zooms that you'll want to join. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Jasmine Singer, and be safe out there. Social distance, stay home, wash your hands, and listen to podcasts.